0: Good morning. Make your way to your seats. Thank you. Good morning. If you are new, my name is Obed and I'm one of the leaders here. Um, Thank you for coming and dedicating this part of your Sunday um, to gathering with us. We are a church family on mission with Jesus. Um, What that means is that we are passionate about loving and serving each other, but we're also very much passionate about helping those who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Um, And we're on mission with Jesus, meaning that Jesus has been on mission and has been at work in this city way before we arrived. And 100 years from now, when we're all dead and gone, right? he's still going to be involved and at work in this city, and he simply invited us into this mission Um, last week we began a series based on the book of Jonah and so if you have your Bibles turn to the story of Jonah book of Jonah turn to the book of Jonah what an incredible story Jonah is Um, I had fun last week kind of I hope you did I don't know if it was fun it was quite um Yeah, it was interesting. Anyway, Jonah chapter 1, verses 3 to 16. That is where we are this morning. Um, And so as we always do in our desire and effort to honor God's word, please stand for the reading of it. Jonah chapter 1, verses 3 to 16 reads, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, Wow, tempestuous. I got that right. I hope so. He said to them, verse 12, He said to them, Pick me up and help me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, Let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us an innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray. God, thank you again for our time together and thank you that um as you have spoken um throughout your word and you have spoken to your people in so many means and so many ways you speak to us um right now through your word through your scriptures empowered by your spirit um and so god give us eyes to see i've done everything i can um to um see and um draw out and um, what I believe our church needs to hear. But there's so much more in here, in this text, in this story, um, that reveals you and who we are. And so, God, I pray that you would do that beyond me, um, not just this morning, but throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. All right, yesterday was Earth Day. Okay, some are excited are like what I didn't even know it was Earth Day that was me yesterday and I realized it was Earth Day because I was taking a walk with my kids my wife was on the retreat so we were taking a long walk and then um, we were at Wind and Sea and I saw some a canopy and it was um, some real estate agents and um, they were there and I was like oh what is going on and so I went and on the tables under the tent they had some gloves and they had some you know you know little picky things that you can pick up trash with and they had all these things and I asked them and I said what is going on what are you doing how come you're not trying to call, you know trying to get me to buy a house or something cuz I can afford a house in oh, yeah. and anyway so it, and they were just like no it's earth day and I was like oh it's earth day and you know they explained to me what earth day was earth day basically is a day of the year where we as human beings are meant to focus on the earth and appreciate the earth and celebrate the earth but not only that but we're meant to do what we can um, to preserve the earth and so they were handing out trash bags so that people could go to the beach and clean up the beach Um, and so people do all types of things on earth day and so there's a focus on earth a focus on earth to preserve it and to celebrate it Um, and as I left them And I was thinking about Earth Day. I started to think about this morning's passage. And I started to realize um, that this passage highlights um, our great and good God who not only created the Earth, planet Earth, that we reside in, but He also created the whole universe. And not only that, but He is in full control of everything He has created. The story of Jonah is a beautifully crafted story based on real life events. Jonah is mostly known as that guy, you know, who got swallowed by a giant fish. But what we must also never forget about Jonah is that he was a Jewish prophet. And like all prophets, he was appointed by God to be God's mouthpiece, to be his spokesperson um, to his people. And so one day God commands Jonah to do something unexpected. God tells him to travel to a city named Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Back then, the Assyrians were a cruel and violent and powerful people. They were heartless and merciless. And in Jonah's day, Assyria was Israel's most feared enemy. Fifty years before Jonah's time, Assyria had subdued Israel and was on the verge of conquering Israel. And this is the city God commands a Hebrew prophet named Jonah to go to. In other words, God was calling Jonah as a missionary to enemy territory. Tim Keller says that Jonah going to Nineveh to call out against it would be like a Jewish rabbi standing on the streets of Berlin in 1941 and calling on Nazi Germany to repent. Oh, it would be like God calling Christians right now in Ukraine on mission work in Russia. Put simply, Jonah was asked to engage with the gospel with people he hated. And as shocking as it was for Jonah to go to Nineveh, what he was asked to do when he got there was even more shocking. God instructed Jonah um, in verse 1 or verse 2 to call out against the Ninevites. And the ultimate goal of calling out against Nineveh was repentance. Was repentance whenever God sends someone to call out against or pronounce judgment on someone the ultimate goal of that particular call is repentance in 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 any way um, if I could put it in essence um, the gospel if you think about the gospel the gospel starts with us being sinners The gospel starts with us realizing that we are sinners and we are separated from God. We have to start there. But the ultimate goal of the gospel is to help us see that because of Jesus, because of his sacrificial death and his resurrection, we have been forgiven. And so although the gospel starts with bad news, it's ultimately good news. And so God calls Jonah to Nineveh to call out against this people group he hates so that they may repent and turn to God. Surprisingly, Jonah rejects God's call. He is unwilling to do what God has commanded him to do. And so instead of going to Nineveh, what he does is he makes plans To travel to another city named Tarshish. Tarshish, Tarshish, however you call it. And this place, this city, was many miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Look at verse 3 again, it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah begins his journey to Tarshish by trekking from Jerusalem to Joppa. Joppa was located a few miles west of Jerusalem at Joppa. What he does is he finds a ship available for travel to Tarshish and verse 3 lets us know that what? What did he do? He paid the fare. He paid the fare. So I've read this a lot of times, and most of the times I read it, before I'd done a deep study of it, I thought that this ship was heading to Tarshish. I just thought that. And so what I thought was Jonah paid a fare for a seat on the ship. But historians and biblical scholars say that that's not actually what happened. Jonah actually was quite wealthy, and he rented Out the whole ship, rented out the whole ship and recruited all the crew members so that they could join him in disobeying God. Sin is costly, very costly. And so Joe Norris on a board on board a ship he just rented with a crew he just recruited to escape God's will for his life not long after the ship set sail look at verse 4 it says the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up um, the verb for "hull," okay is hetel in greek And most of the time, this verb is used for when a soldier or an athlete throws a weapon, such as a spear. And so, like a soldier throwing a spear, verse 4 reveals to us that God throws a great wind upon the sea. We could spend so much time unpacking this because there's so many questions concerning God and his involvement in creation that this particular verse raises, okay? It does. But what I want us to focus on is this, that this statement reveals to us that God didn't just create the universe but he is in control of it. All things are in his hands, under his control, and he uses them ultimately for his good purposes. This should be of great comfort to you. It really should. Because when I read this, when I read about God being in control of the wind and um, the, the, you know, the weather, and then I think He's and I realize that the Bible talks about God being in control of everything, it's comforting to me because no matter what happens in my life, I know for sure that God is in control. It's not as if something happens in my life and God's in heaven like, "Oh! Oh <laughs> ah! bad. Ah! Angels, help. <laughs> like panicking. God is sovereign, and He is in complete control of everything that He has created. And so God brings about a great wind upon the sea. This act by God causes a violent storm and the storm is so violent, the ship is now in danger of being destroyed. Jonah and his hired sailors are caught in the middle of an unexpected violent and life-threatening storm and as you can imagine as the ship is pounded by the winds and waves and tossed here and there the sailors are freaking out and these sailors are experienced right i think i know that for sure they didn't expect this because um, they are very experienced sailors. And before they sailed out, they would have said, Oh, the weather's going to be really nice. It's going to be fine. But they are find themselves in this crazy, unexpected situation. They're freaking out. They're fearing for their lives. And what's the first thing they do? Look at verse 5, beginning of verse 5. Then the mariners, sailors, were afraid and each cried out to his God. That's the first thing they do. The sailors react in two ways. The first is that they cry out to their gods. And then second, it tells us that what they tried to do was that they, uh, they would throw out the cargo that was on their ship into the sea to lie in it. And so first of all, um, they, they first seek a spiritual solution. Okay, Spiritually, they cried out to their own gods. We don't have clarity on the gods they look to. We don't. Maybe it was, you know, in those ancient times and they had these gods and I'm sure they had names for them. We're not sure. We don't have clarity on the gods they look to. But what we do know is that the gods they called out to were what the Bible defines as false gods. Alright, if you notice in your Bible, there's a lowercase God that says each man called out to their own God. Lowercase. Okay? They turn, they, they they look to false gods to help them. And in the Bible, false gods are idols. Um, and these are idols or things that we turn to other than the one true God of the Bible. Joe Thorne, um who, who's a theologian, says this. He says, idolatry has taken different forms throughout the ages some idols were carved out of wood and overlaid with precious metals some were well-known pagan deities to which whole temples were built today our idols seem a bit more sophisticated money power reputation sex appearance and knowledge are common idols even good things can be idols because an idol is simply that which we elevate in our lives above the Lord. And so like the sailors, I wonder what false or counterfeit gods you turn to for help. When you are faced with difficulty and a trial, what false god are you prone to seek help from? Who or what do you look to for help when you're in a difficult situation? The sailors followed their desperate prayers with desperate actions. Um, They hurled the cargoes out of the ship in order to lighten it. Um, And this makes sense because removing cargo will help the ship get lighter and endure the terrible storms. Um, the sailors are scared and they're doing everything they can to survive they're praying to their gods they're chucking cargo off the ship they're faced with imminent death and while all of this is going on the question we have to ask is where is Jonah? while the sailors are doing everything they can to hang on to dear life and weather the storm where is Jonah? Ah. Last part of verse 5 says, But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. First of all, how is this even possible? Like, think about this. Alright, I I was thinking about this. I I mean, I have insomnia, I can't sleep well, and... I can never sleep whenever I'm going through a stressful situation. I just can't sleep. I'll stay up all night and I'm thinking through it. And I'm looking at this situation and I'm just like, Jonah is going through a lot at the moment, isn't he? It's so stressful. He just disobeyed God. He's feeling the anguish and the guilt and all of these things. And plus, he's now in the middle of a storm and he's actually fast asleep impossible for me but I know we are all wired differently the 19th century Scottish minister Hugh Martin says Jonah was sleeping the sleep of sorrow all of us are different Jonah was exhausted and drained by emotions of anger, guilt, anxiety, and grief. And rather than these keeping him up, these emotions caused him to fall into a deep sleep. And this is a thing. Some of you guys are able, I think, when you go through stuff and life is draining and challenging, you sleep the sleep of sorrow. It's a thing. And that's what's happening to Jonah. And so, as the sailors frantically try to do everything they can to survive, the captain of the ship realizes Jonah is not with them. He finds him fast asleep and in disbelief and annoyance, uh, Jonah's complacency. Here's what the captain says to him Look at verse 6. So, the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your gods. In other words, what are you doing, man? Gosh, what is wrong with you? We're in this violent storm and you are sleeping. Get up, help us. And how do they ask him to help them? Look at the last part of verse 6. He goes, cry out to your God. Perhaps your God, their God, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. We're not told in the narrative whether Jonah prayed or not he may have he may not but he probably did what the captain told him to do but we do know that disobeying God is what had got him and the men on the boat into this life threatening situation Jonah's disobedience was the catalyst for this storm We can glean so many truths from this, but one of the things I want to point out is that every act of disobedience to God comes with a storm. Put simply, sinful behavior brings about storms into our life. Even though this is true, I want to shed more light on this with the help of Tim Keller. He says this, This is not to say that every difficult thing that comes into our lives is the punishment for some particular sin. The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. And so I wonder if the difficulties you're facing are directly connected to your own sinful actions or the sins of others. The reality is that disobedience will bring you into difficulty, is at times, God will allow difficult situations in your life to grab your attention. But what is also true, and I want you to hear this, is that in ways that we cannot always understand, God will use, even use, our disobedience. For his great and good purposes. And so let's get back to our story to see how this truth, what I just shared with you, the idea of God using everything, being in control of everything, and God even using our disobedience to bring out about his great and his great and good purposes. Let's go back to our story to see how this is demonstrated. In that culture back then, many believed bad things happened because of wrongdoing. In other words, if good things come to those who wait, bad things come to those who sin they would kind of say. As a result, the sailors believe that the storm therein has occurred because of someone in the ship has done something very wrong. And so who's to blame for their punishment? Um, Whose sin has caused the violent and life-threatening storm? Look at the first part of verse 7. It says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Casting lots back then was an ancient way of figuring out God's will. What would happen is if each person's name was put on a stick and whatever stick was chosen would point out in this situation who was responsible for the storm. The lot falls to Jonah and they ask him several questions Several identity questions, and he responds in this way. Look at verse 9. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And his response to their question about who you are is very interesting. He's very honest. He's like, I'm a Hebrew, but what he says next is very eye opening because he chooses to um, describe and identify God as the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He could have said, look, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord who is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. He could have said, look, I'm a Hebrew and I fear and worship the God of justice. But he decides to identify God as the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And that's telling. And that's appropriate for the situation that he's in. He's reminding himself and them that whatever is going on, the God he serves is the one who is in control. Now that they know Jonah is responsible for the storm and the storm is getting stormier, they ask Jonah an important question. Look at verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah immediately says to them, verse 12, Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then when you do this, This storm, the raging sea, will quiet down. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah's response raises a lot of questions. The first question that came to mind is that why did he insist that they be the ones to throw him overboard? Why didn't he jump himself? He could have jumped himself. That's really interesting. The second question is his motives for wanting to be thrown overboard. What were his motives? Was it to spare the crew from suffering for his sin? Or was it his desperate attempt to avoid going to Nineveh? Because think about it. If he dies, he doesn't have to do God's will. He ends up in heaven. He's like, hey, God. (laughs) God's like, you're going back down. (laughs) Could have happened. Is Jonah repenting and saying, I deserve death for my sin against God, or are his motives the very opposite? Is he saying, I would rather die than obey God and go to Nineveh. Put simply, is he surrendering to divine justice or is he still rebelling against God? We can only speculate. It's hard to know what Jonah's motives are. Um, As we read and as we study Jonah, we will get more clarity on this. And so Jonah has offered to the sailors the solution for the storm. Throw me over and this storm will be over. What do you think happens next? Okay, we know the story. Imagine you never knew the story. Imagine if this was the first time you were reading it or watching um, a Netflix series on this or something. Just imagine and like, you know, Jonas says, oh, you know, you throw me over and the sea will be stilled and then boom, the titles come up and then you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to watch the next one <laughs> to find out what happens. What do you think would happen? What do you think the sailors would do? Okay, I was thinking about this. If I was one of the sailors, I would grab him and chuck him off the boat. It's like, who do you think you are? I'm suffering because of you. That's what I would do. That's what I think some of you will do. But something unexpected happens. The thing I love about the book of the story of Jonah, there's so many clips, like there's so many things that happens that we don't expect, right? First, it just kicks off with God calling one of his prophets to go and do something, and then the prophet goes, "I'm not doing it. That's unexpected." And then he jumps into a boat, tries to escape, and then there's a storm. Unexpected. And then, raging storm, his crew are trying all they can, freaking out. And then, unexpected, he's sleeping in a storm. And by the way, gosh, we're going to get to this. The connections with Jonah and Jesus are phenomenal. Jesus slept in a storm. I have to move on time. And so, what do the sailors do? They don't do what Jonah says. Instead of grabbing Jonah and throwing him overboard to save their lives, they instead try to save his life by doing their best to row back to dry land. But as they try to do this, they are unsuccessful in fact verse 13 says that as they rode the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them these gracious sailors have tried everything but nothing has worked the storm continues to rain they're running out of time with no other solutions for survival they give in to Jonah's request but before they pick up Jonah and throw him into the sea they pray They pray in verse 14, and interestingly enough, they pray not, the object of their prayer is different. They're no longer praying to the gods they knew, the false gods they knew. They actually pray and call out to Yahweh, Jonah's God. Look at verse 14, they pray, they say, Therefore, they called out to the Lord, Yahweh, Jonah's God, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Okay? And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And as soon as they're done praying, look at verse 15. They pick up Jonah, hurl him into the sea, and just as Jonah said, the sea ceased from its raging this episode from the story of jonah ends in this way and this is the highlight this episode this scene from jonah's story ends with verse 16 let's read it it says then the men feared the lord exceedingly And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows so much stands out in this scene but one thing that is clear to see is just how great and gracious God is what do I mean by this in this part of the story we Witness God at work in the most extraordinary way how God used the rebellion and disobedience of Jonah to bring about his good and great purposes think about this if Jonah wouldn't have disobeyed God he wouldn't have met the sailors Jonah's refusal to go to Nineveh was used by God to showcase his power, not just over his creation, but to demonstrate his great and gracious power to save the lost. If Jonah wouldn't have disobeyed, Jonah wouldn't have met the sailors, and God wouldn't have brought about the salvation of those sailors. This is crazy. We're not sure how long the storm lasted, okay? could have been hours or a day or two but it all ended with a bunch of pagan sailors turning from worshiping false gods to worshiping the one true God one man's rebellion was used by God to bring about the salvation of others and God has been and still is in the business of using the sins of man to accomplish his great purposes and this is how he accomplished salvation for us Think about salvation. Think about this. The sinful actions and motives of Judas and the religious leaders which led to Jesus' betrayal, His suffering and death was used by God to bring about the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for those who trust in Him. God is faithful. He can use all circumstances for His glory. At the beginning of this scene in the story, we saw God show his power and his ability to control the weather. And this is reminding us and showing us that if God controlled the weather, God can control every circumstance and every situation in order to bring about his great and good purposes. This is crazy. our God is able to redeem anything and everything for his great and good purposes. (laughs) After being sold into slavery by his brothers and eventually being used by God to save the lives of so many people, what did Joseph say to his brothers? What did he say to his brothers? Right? Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 is up on the screen. Read it. Said to his brothers, look, you intended to harm me But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. The storm leads the sailors to genuine faith in the true God even though it was not their fault. Jonah himself begins his journey to understand the grace of God in a new way. The grace of God in a new way. When storms come into our lives, Whether as a consequence of our wrongdoing or not, Christians have the promise that God will use them for their good. The sovereign God of all creation is with us and at work in our trials, in our suffering, in our pain to bring about his great and good purposes. Tim Keller says this, the Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin. But it does teach that for Christians, every difficulty can help reduce the power of sin over our hearts. Storms can wake us up to truths we would otherwise never see. Storms can develop faith, hope, love, patience, humility, and self control in us that nothing else can. An innumerable number of people have testified that they found faith in Christ and eternal life only because some great storm drove them toward God I wonder how God will use the difficulties you're facing for his good and great purposes in your life I wonder how God will use the storms that you're in to bring about your good and his ultimate glory we live in a broken and dysfunctional world we really do sin has contaminated the world we live in our hearts are stained with sin but we have a God who's not limited in any way he is a God who is all-powerful all-knowing and in control of everything and he in ways that we can't comprehend or understand he is working all things for his for our good and his glory. He really is at work. I have As I was looking at this and looking at this whole theme of God being involved and at work and in control, I was taken back to many seasons in my life of deep and troubling suffering. And for a lot of them, I just don't know how God has or will use them, but for some of them, I look back and I see how God in his sovereignty allowed this situation in my life and how he used it in the most marvelous ways. And so be encouraged. Have hope no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, know that you are a child of the living God who is sovereign and in control of everyone and everything. And his desires for you are good and great. And he is working all things out for your good and his ultimate glory. And one day he may help you see how he's brought about his great purposes in your life and in the life of others. Let's pray. God, you are sovereign. You are sovereign. So God, I pray that as we've been reminded this morning, these big truths of you being involved in every area of our lives. God, may we trust that you're a good God, you're gracious, you're merciful, and that may we find comfort and peace in light of these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.